Hello, my name's Tom Boone. And I'm Joanna Bailey. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Simple Flying Podcast, where we'll give you the lowdown on the latest news from the world of commercial aviation. Here's what we have for you this week. Coming up today, One World finally makes a decision on its Russian airline member. Tom will tell us more while I look into the future for Malaysia Airlines. Emirates is eyeing a full network recovery. I'll look into that. And Joe will fill us in on the latest in the ongoing Qatar Airways versus Airbus saga. Finally, Tom will see just how much British Airways is planning to use the Airbus A380. I mean, I couldn't not, but um, anyway, so now you know what's in store. Let's get on with the show. And I think I wanted to start today by talking about um, S7 and One World because there's been some sort of movement in there. Um, it was quite interesting because I was chatting to a friend of ours, um, Jakob Vert, over at uh, IFN, International Flight Network, and he um, was speaking to the CEO of um, One World maybe a month or so ago um, about um, when everything was really sort of kicking off um, about whether S7 would be staying in the One World Alliance. And at the time, he um, he said to them that basically it was to uh, the airlines, it would be the airline's decision and not like it's not for One World to decide that. Well, it's interesting because fast fast forward to today and or even last week um, now, um, things have changed. So um, S seven Airlines has been temporarily suspended from the One World Alliance, and you know the carrier said that, that it was effective from April nineteenth. It was a cooperative agreement made by both parties apparently. So S seven and One World decided it together according to S seven. Um, whether it was truly cooperative, we'll never know, I guess. But um, you know, the airline's temporary suspension from the alliance is a direct result of everything that's going on right now. And it's um, quite interesting because um, the suspension is pretty serious. You know, I went on the One World um, website one day and S7 was there. And then I went on the next day and it was gone. Um, and they posted a statement on their website saying, because of the restrictions on international flights, business cooperation between S7 Airlines and the One World Alliance became limited. In these circumstances, S7 and One World have decided to suspend their agreement starting from the 19th of April 2022. Passengers can still enjoy bilateral agreements between S7 Airlines and partner airlines. However, One World benefits will not be available. Um, and there's some... Um, so. How does that affect passengers? Well, firstly, I just said that one world benefits will not be available. So this means that any um, S7, any passengers with S7 um, loyalty traveling on, say, Qatar Airways or British Airways um, won't get any of their status perks. So they won't get access to the lounge. They won't... Um, get all of these other things. And the same goes for, say, a Qatar Airways or British Airways um, frequent flyer traveling with S7. Now, obviously, the majority of S7 uh, frequent flyers are going to be people who travel with S7 often in uh, Russia. So it, it's mainly going to affect Russian uh, travelers. But, you know, there could be, say, somebody living in London who, for whatever reason, decided that they wanted to be a member of S7 and not One World to collect their... Um, and not British Airways to collect their frequent flyer points and such. So it would also affect them in this situation. But um, Those have got there's... to be few and far between, right? <laughs> yeah, I would imagine they're not going to be common, but I wouldn't want to rule out that they exist. Um, <laughs> sure. Yeah, the other one um, way that things have been um, impacted is how you can spend and receive uh, frequent flyer miles on um, the airline because... Um, 
American Airlines is now no longer letting S7 passengers use their miles from March 1st, British Airways from March 14th, Iberia from March 14th, and Alaska Airlines for April 8th. And Qatar Airways is, has stopped um, stopped them um, people spending points, but they can still collect points traveling with One World. Right. Okay. It sounds like it's kind of a mutually beneficial decision. Yeah. Um, you know, from One World's point of view, it looked pretty bad to be keeping S7 in the alliance when everybody else has been so, you know, publicly pulling back from everything Russian right now. Mm. Um, but, you know, for S7 as well, there's little point to being in an alliance when so many of their partners will have stopped flying to Russia. Yeah. Um, you know, and they're, they're obviously paying the money to be part of the alliance, but not getting the benefits of the kind of incoming traffic that would normally be tumbling off all the other airlines lines that are coming into Russia. Mm. Um, so I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. I think certainly for One World, it's about time. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't look good. Um, you know, that when I was with Etihad last month, um, the CEO was facing some fairly blunt questions at the press conference about, um, you know, he kind of said that he really sympathises with the people of Ukraine, but that he's not going to stop flying there. Um, and that seems to be the situation with most of the Gulf airlines. And I guess, you know, they can kind of get it get away with it there because it is such a multicultural part of the world but um you know with one world being more kind of westernized if you like it's uh, i think it's a good move for them anyway mm. in terms of uh, public opinion <laughs> yeah i think so and um i mean you know it's it's they've been very clear that it's temporary for the time being so um, yeah. it's it's nothing final yet but who knows how that will um develop Definitely, definitely. Well, keep us posted anyway. I will um, do. I wanted to talk a little bit about Malaysia Airlines because we don't we don't very often talk about them. Um, and I had the pleasure of listening to their group chief commercial officer um, earlier this week at the IBS virtual air show. Um, and I find it always really interesting to listen to executives talk and particularly when they allow you to ask questions because uh, you really get some insight into what's been going on. You know, otherwise all you get is the press releases. So, um, you know, if you know anything about Malaysia Airlines, you'll know that they kind of went into the pandemic not in the strongest position and um, they were already kind of struggling financially and obviously you know covid has caused some really big problems in that part of the world um They've had some of the, the strictest restrictions um, of anywhere in the world, and they were some of the slowest to open their borders. Um, you know, they, they did do some great work. They did lots of rescue and repatriation flying and a bit of cargo work. Um, but at one point, I think last October, they were burning through something like 84 million a month um, in US dollars. Sorry, I should clarify there. <laughs> Not cents. <laughs> um, and, you know, at one point, their owner, the Kazana Bank, said that they could shut it down if they weren't able to restructure it. But restructure it, they did. Um, and they retired their 6A380s, which I will come on to in just a moment. Um, and if you remember, they were raising money through some very innovative means, like selling their amenity kits online. Um, and obviously, you know, as many airlines did, they were trying to capitalise on the opportunities to fly cargo when they could. Um, but more importantly than that, and I think something that doesn't really get mentioned a lot, is the massive digital transformation the airline has been through. And I think this is characteristic of the industry over the last couple of years. Um, you know, because they've had that pause to kind of take a breath, they've been able to really look at their um, systems and processes and say, well, how can we do this better? Um, so for Malaysia Airlines, they've been really adopting lots of cool technologies like machine learning and um, AI, um, you know, and trying to 
be a better airline for the future, you know, trying to deliver a better travel experience to its passengers. Um, obviously, they're facing some headwinds right now um, with regards to the Russia-Ukraine situation. Um, the fuel prices have gone through the roof and they're having to take some longer routings to get some of their long-haul um, services back up and running. But, you know, I think the, the message is they are on the path to recovery and it's going to be a better future because of the things they've put in place. Um, and Mass needs this to happen because actually as an airline, it's facing increased competition to the market it was in pre um, COVID. So before the pandemic, its main local competitor was, of course, the AirAsia Group, which um, was AirAsia, AirAsia X, and all its many lifestyle brands like the Super App and all that. That group has actually restructured itself under the name of Capital A, you may have heard. Um, and the position they've put themselves in is very much kind of lean and poised for growth, very well positioned to compete with Malaysia Airlines. Um, but, you know, Mass is used to competing with AirAsia, it's not a problem. But now there's all also, two new startups coming into the market. Um, there's one called My Airline, which is an ultra low cost carrier. Um, they secured their air service license on December 22nd last year, and they've already leased two A320s, and they are in the process of launching. And also coming is SKS Airways, um, which is quite a niche airline, but you know, still another airline in the environment. They'll be based in Subang, and they'll be flying to popular island destinations using a pair of twin otters. Um, but incredibly, they'll be flying up to 12 times daily, moving 228 passengers between Sabang and the islands, which I thought was incredible when you consider how small the Twin Otters are. Um, they secured their air service license on January the 1st. Um, so they're both kind of set up and ready to go. And they're the CCO of Malaysia Airlines, who is a chap called... Let me try and do this justice. Ahmad Lukman Mod Azmi, um, but goes by the name of Lukman, which is much easier to pronounce. <laughs> um, he thinks that this is actually a bit of overcapacity for the Malaysian market. Um, but he says that the things Mass has put in place will stand it in a good place to beat out the competition. So he reckons that innovation is key, using technology is key, and this AI and machine learning that they've got will predict what the consumer wants before they even make the decision, which I think is pretty cool. Um, in order to kind of get from where they were to where they're going, um, Malaysia Airlines has also um, brought customer satisfaction and is a key performance indicator. Now, if you're used to being on airline earnings calls, as I am, you'll know that key performance indicators are usually things like um, the on-time performance, um, how much money they're making per seat available, what the yield is, you know, how much profit they're making, things like that. But now they're also um, having a new KPI, which is relating to customer experience and customer satisfaction. So things like net promoter score, which which is how likely the customer is to recommend Malaysia Airlines to a friend or relative. You know, it's a really powerful form of marketing and it's free, but obviously you have to earn it. Um, and also the Consumer Satisfaction Index, which indicates how happy somebody was with the service. So for Malaysia Airlines, the future is all about big data, kind of getting in under the skin of their customers, understanding why those customers are choosing Malaysia Airlines and what they can do to get more customers to choose it. So I just thought that was really interesting. Um, to kind of hear all about that. I wanted to feed that back. Um, but what I know you want to know, Tom, is what do they think about the A380? I had to ask the question. <laughs> you would have shot me if I didn't. So I asked him the same question that I asked Al Baka, um, probably 18 months ago now. 
but you know, they only ever bought six A380s and they didn't use them for all that long. And during the pandemic, they parked them and they're probably not coming back ever again. So I said, do you think investing in the A380 was a mistake? Um, the CCO was very clear um, that it wasn't. He said when they made the investment in the A380, it was the right decision because at that point they were trying to solve a slot issue. There were a lot of constrained airports around the world. They didn't always get the slots they wanted and they needed the A380 to solve that problem. Um, back then, it was a great decision, but right now, it's not a great plane um, because, you know, as we've discussed, the huge rises in fuel costs, um, you know, it's not really, it doesn't work out financially. Um, you know, it was only six aircraft. So, in terms of a fleet, it wasn't a huge part of their matrix. They've got hundreds of other types. Um, and it's much easier to fill 280 seats on a very fuel efficient A350 than it is to try and fill up a 500 seat A380. Um, and he said, you know, in the future, they also believe in frequency as well as capacity, which I think is something we're seeing kind of a trend across the industry. Um, and of course, they also don't see as much concerns with the slots as well. I think we've seen enough disruption in the industry that slots are much more um, possible to get and to get at better times. So, um, so yeah, I, I'm sorry to say they're not one that will be bringing the A380 back, but I know you're going to be talking lots about A380s in the podcast going forward. So, uh, I'll hand back to you to tell us about Emirates. Yeah, well, I'm not going to like jump on A380s just yet. I'll save that all for British Airways. But I did okay. want to speak <laughs> briefly about Emirates. Um, I found it interesting that on Tuesday, their chief commercial officer, uh, a guy called Adnan Kazim, um, basically said that the full pre-pandemic network would be in operation next year with... Um, the sort of full pre-pandemic uh, capacity that was operated by the airline. Um, and I mean... I would take it with a tiny pinch of salt because, you know, at the start of last year, they said all of their aircraft would be back in the skies by the end of last year. And that hasn't happened. Um, but obviously, the industry is looking in a much better place right now. Um, I did actually do some digging and I found out that there are only 15 airports or in the Emirates network that was served um, in 20, um, 2020, 2019, sorry, uh, but that are not being served now. So they're Adelaide in Australia, Beijing in China, Buenos Aires in Argentina, Christchurch in New Zealand, Edinburgh UK, in the United Kingdom, Fort Lauderdale, United States, Istanbul in Turkey, Kabul in Afghanistan, Stansted in the UK, Phnom Penh in Cambodia, Porto in Portugal, Rio de Janeiro in Brazil, Santiago in Chile, Shanghai in China, and Yangon in Myanmar. Um, and of these 15, four of them are actually already down to be resumed. So Stansted from August, um, Buenos Aires, and Rio from November, and Christchurch from December, I think, as we discussed a couple of weeks ago on the podcast. So that really only leaves... Um, around 11 destinations that aren't being served by the airline. So um, adding them won't be so hard. The interesting thing is when you look at them, most of them that are still cancelled, like Beijing and Shanghai, will be because of the strict COVID restrictions that uh, China currently has in place. Kabul, you can't really count that in the same um the same bucket anymore anyway, because the reason that's um, that's suspended isn't to do with COVID, it's to do with the situation in the country. So um, that one's not on there. So, you know, pretty much the majority of the Emirates Airlines network is back. Um, that's quite impressive, really, given there are still so many awkward kind of travel restrictions yeah. in different parts of the world. Yeah, I think the thing is that um, people, if they want to and need to travel, they will travel. 
even if they have to go through all this hoo-ha um, to make it happen. Mm. Um, I did also have a look at capacity and uh, available seat miles because Emirates' CCO said that they're currently operating at 70% pan, uh, pre-pandemic capacity and that's going to grow to 80% by the summer. Um, so I compared the 2022 um, ASMs or available seat miles to the um, 2019 ones. And what I found was that uh, for April, it's 89.73%, uh, which is basically 7, 70%, as he said. And then that's going to go up to 80.90% uh, next month. But then it is going to drop back down to 65.02% and just keep rising steadily. Mm. Um, there's a graph of it on our website if you want to see what I'm saying. in a, Beautifully a sort of more... made by Tom, I have to say. Yeah, all of <laughs> You're my very graphs, good at graphs. Are, I take very, very much love and care with them. Um, <laughs> So I think it's interesting, you know, um, we'll obviously have to wait and see what happens um, as always. But I just found it so interesting how how much of the network is back. I think that's great and really positive, um, mm. you know, that a in, in big international airline like Emirates is able to do that. Um, bodes well for the rest of the world, I think. So while we're in the Gulf, I wanted to just update on Qatar Airways and the situation with Airbus because there have been developments this week. Um, to set the scene, I'm sure most of our listeners will already know what's been going on. Um, but, you know, this dispute's been going on for several months. And the crux of the matter is relating to the paintwork issues on the widebody A350. Um so, but it's bizarre because this court case is not about the A350. There is a court case ongoing for damages um, relating to the A350. Um, but this court case is actually about the A321neo. Um, so, Qatar first indicated it was going to buy the A321neo way back in 2011. And it firmed the order up in December 2017. Back then, it committed for 50 units from Airbus, all of them just the standard vanilla A321neo. Um, but but about a year later, it converted 10 of those 50 to the long-range A321LR. But of course, you know, with the big queues for production at Airbus, there was a bit of a wait before any were going to be delivered. Fast forward to more recently, um, and as we all know, the relationship between Qatar Airways and Airbus is rather sour. Um, the airline has been complaining of issues with the paintwork on its wide bodies and, in fact, has refused to take delivery of any more of the type and has grounded several aircraft from the fleet, um, claiming its aviation authority believed the flaws to be a safety issue, although I have to say Airbus has always maintained these paintwork issues are not safety critical. Um, but the situation really came to a head early this year, back in January, um, when Qatar unexpectedly went very public with exactly how bad the paintwork problem was. So the airline re released a damning video montage of, I think it was about three different aircraft showing the paintwork. I mean, it was bad, so badly degraded that the light mesh underneath was showing up through um, and up until that point really the extent of the damage had been quite well guarded. Anyway within 24 hours Airbus responded by cancelling the entirety of Qatar's narrowbody order um, and then also removed two of its future A350 production slots. Um, so this is what the court case has been about because Qatar's issue is with the A350 but it's like Airbus has related the two contracts to each other and has cancelled the A321neo. Um, since earlier in April, they've been in court in London 
trying to get a ruling on whether Airbus has to continue building the A321neos. Um, but according to report reporting by Reuters today, the London court ruled that Airbus does not have to continue building the planes for the airline. Um, Airbus apparently claims that the two contracts the, for the A350 and the A321neo are connected by a cross-default clause, which reportedly allows the airline to pull the plug, the plane maker to pull the plug on one deal if the other one's not honoured. Hmm. So, Qatar, on the other hand, has claimed it can't fill the gap left by the lack of A321neos by any other means. Um, and that's despite the fact that it kind of indicated it wanted a load of 737 MAX earlier in the year. Um, so although the judge has ruled in favour of Airbus, it doesn't prevent Qatar from demanding a fuller trial later. Um, so we may see this issue rumbling on a bit longer. What it does allow, however, is for Airbus to move other customers up the production queue and to remarket the aircraft that had been earmarked for Qatar. And this sets kind of a worrying precedent that's never really been seen before in aviation. So it, it's the first time where a problem with one contract has called, caused ripples with another. Um, and it's kind of symptomatic of the strength of these two manufacturers. You know, they can kind of do what they want because there are only two options. Um, but it could have consequences for future disputes. And uh, for me, I, I find it very interesting to watch and uh, maybe slightly worrying. I think other other airlines will be worried about the outcome of this as well. Yeah, I can understand that. Although, you know, like if um, other airlines are taking all of their orders, then it shouldn't really impact them um, so much. But uh, <laughs> As long as they don't uh, have a dispute about yeah. one of their plane yeah. types, then... Uh, I mean, it's, it's not common to see see such a thing is what I mean, you know. Um, it's never happened before, yeah. never. Um, but, you know, it's it's funny that legally it was allowed yeah. um, and certainly means that it could definitely happen again. Mm. Well, sticking on sort of the case of Airbus and London, um, I wanted to talk a bit about BA's A380 network because, you know, I love doing that so much on this podcast. Um, and, you know, I, I ran the numbers earlier this week, and it was actually quite fascinating because British Airways is set to exceed its pre-pandemic uh, operations by the end of this year with the A380. Um, the reason for that, um, the sort of quick reason for that is because the the aircraft used to operate on a kind of, it, there's kind of two reasons. Firstly, the main, the sort of big reason for it is that the British Airways 747 is no longer in service. So some of the routes that were operated by the 747 in years gone by, um, now have the A380. And um, it's the A380 used to follow quite a sort of cyclical cycle, like most airlines, you know, or most aircraft, they use more in the summer and less in the winter. Um, actually, from August onwards, they're going to be using the A380 more than, um, than in 2026. Um, you know, in December, actually, they've got 546 flights planned as things currently stand, which is an 18.95% increase on um, 2016, which was actually the most uh, flights that we've ever seen in December um, with an A380. But what I think is even more impressive is going back to that number, 546. If we look at the month where there were the most Airbus A380 flights of all time operated by British Airways, that is July 2016, and that was 532 flights. So there's actually two months this year, November and December, this is assuming that the schedule doesn't change, where British Airways will be operating more Airbus A380 flights than 
any month since it took delivery of the A380. And I think that's just a that's bit amazing. bonkers considering what you've just said about <laughs> the, the Malaysia Airlines A380. <laughs> yeah, um, definitely. It, Do you think they will go ahead with the, the flight schedule? I think so, you know, because it's not drastically different from what they're operating now. It's just with some slightly more, uh, slightly more um, frequencies and whatnot. And I think, you know, they're going to be needing um, like more people are traveling now, especially to and from the UK with the dropping of um, restrictions. More people are traveling, mm. and the the whole reason they have it is because BA is such a slot constrained airport. And like you were saying, um, back to this slot point, um, you know, everyone kind of or most people see re demand returning. There's going to be we're going to go back to the old ways of there's no slots at Heathrow at some point and BA is going yeah. to have its fleet of A380s which were pretty much designed they, like they're not useful for many things but they're useful for BA slot problems at Heathrow um, mm -hmm. and I think we are going to see perhaps a point where BA is quite happy with them and perhaps maybe some of the other ones that didn't hang on to them are going to be uh, a bit stressy for the reasons that you mentioned talking about the the sort of uh, Malaysia Airlines ones but. Um, yeah. I mean, it's an interesting, an interesting thing. And um, what I did find interesting is, as well is that they've kind of changed where they're flying them because um, if you compare December 2019 to December 2020, they'll be flying to Chicago, D Dallas and Dubai, um, which weren't served in 2020, uh, 2019 and Miami, actually. Um, so mm. there's, there's four things that weren't served. And obviously, Hong Kong isn't going to have them this December for um, fairly obvious reasons. But they're also not planning to send it to Singapore this December. They're not? No. Okay. I guess there's, well, why is that? Um, well, Hong Kong is because no one's flying there. Singapore, I'm not entirely sure about because it does seem to be reopening. But, it is um, opening, isn't it? I think even Hong Kong will be open by the end of the year, maybe. Yeah, I think um, <laughs> perhaps, you know, it, it, it's such a change though, you know, like Hong Kong can reopen, but I think even... I don't think you're going to see a flock of people traveling there straight away because even I before think the pandemic... I scared. It's been hard, yeah. hasn't it? And yeah. even before the pandemic, we had the riots there, which were affecting traffic. So, mm, mm. Um, interesting yeah. one to watch. Definitely. It's it's cool that there's a load in December and uh, November, though, because yeah. they obviously... I'd say a lot of that's for the transatlantic market and they're expecting everyone to go and see their folks for Thanksgiving and Christmas next this year. Um, because I think last year, a lot of us, again, had our plans scuppered because things mm. weren't quite open in time for Christmas. And some people did jump through the hoops and managed to make it work. But mm. I think a lot of people put it off again and will be kind of saving up all their pennies for a really good trip this year. Yeah, exactly. And if you look at December, um, there's only two destinations which aren't in the US. Those are Johannesburg and Dubai and obviously Heathrow, but um, mm. excluding that, they've got a daily rotation to Chicago. A pretty much daily rotation to Dallas, daily to Dubai, twice daily to Johannesburg, daily mm. to Los Angeles, daily to Miami, daily to San Francisco, and basically daily to Washington Dallas. So nice. pretty much what you Ooh. said is bang on. Yeah, amazing. Well, let's just keep our fingers crossed that mm. uh, this Christmas and Thanksgiving does go to plan because, uh, you know, this COVID thing has variants and it yeah. always is a worry that it could just pop up with something new and awful. But let's mm. not think about that. Let's rejoice in the fact that there's lots of A380 flying by British Airways, mm. which is great to see. Yeah, and it's still coming to Frankfurt all the time for cargo <laughs> flights. So I still get to see it. I was um, walking through town yesterday and I heard a noise, looked up. It was just the BAA380 flying over. So happy days. Oh, nice. Nice. But you can't book it. 
it. No, no. I, I read your article, yeah. but you, you can't, can't fly it. on it. <laughs> Amazing stuff. Well, I think that's all we've got time for today. We do hope you enjoyed the podcast and welcome your feedback at podcast at simpleflying.com. For more great content, you can visit our website at simpleflying.com or find us on social media. Simply search for Simple Flying. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a rating on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Bye.